If you have your Bible, find with me again the Gospel of John and chapter 6 as we return in just a minute to our message series, Clearing Up the Confusion About Jesus. Clearing Up the Confusion About Jesus. While you're turning there, I want to echo uh, what Pastor Mike said a little bit earlier about next weekend, the 28th. Be here or online with us at 11 a.m., for the Celebration Choir's Easter music. It's going to be exciting. It's wonderful to, to point toward Easter, to sing about Easter, to, to remember what Easter is all about, to praise God for the resurrection of Christ. Then Sunday night, 6 o'clock, House of Prayer. You can participate in person or online. If you're new to First Baptist Church, you're not aware of what House of Prayer is. It's exactly what it sounds like. We rally up and just pray and praise God uh, for that evening Hour. And we want to focus on our prayer time. We want to focus next Sunday night on God's uh, guidance in moving forward as a church. I sent out an email this week letting you know I'm putting plans in place, praying about what comes next, how to incrementally move us in. I'm uh, talking to folks about metrics we can watch for how our county's doing, vaccinations increasing, COVID decreasing. All of these are good signs. So we want to be prayerful and wise in what we do next, and that's what we want to pray together about next Sunday night. So I want to encourage you to be here for that. In that video, we just uh, saw people asking the question and asked the question, tell me something special about Jesus. But as soon as they're asked, what would it mean to you if someone gave their life for you? What if someone stood up for you and sacrificed themselves? All of a sudden, we're very interested in that, aren't we? Very interested to find out that someone would do that for us because that's the ultimate sacrifice, to give your life for someone else. And that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ did for each of us, each of you. Uh, Perfect man, God in human flesh, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in your place for your sins, and then God raised him from the grave. I love the Easter season. We get to, to celebrate that. Hey, remember also... Easter Sunday morning outside, both services, weather permitting, inside, if the weather doesn't permit, 7 a.m. sunrise-ish service, and uh, we'll be outside celebrating the Lord's resurrection. As we return to our series this morning about what, what, and clearing up the confusion about Jesus, I was thinking about Oprah Winfrey's interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. I don't know if you saw that or not. I didn't actually watch it, but boy, it sure has maintained uh, some traction in the news, hasn't it? People still talking about it, interacting. The royal family still responding to that interview. And as it turns out, some folks are concerned about Harry and Meghan and their uh, situation in the United States. So one of their neighbors, Anastasia Hansen, uh, said that she was concerned for the Duke and the Duchess because they came to America and did not have jobs, and they had limited funds, at which they made clear in their interview. And it was coming out of the interview that Miss Hansen was especially concerned about them. And they're also neighbors of hers. They live about 25 miles apart in California. So Miss Hansen created a GoFundMe page for the Duke and the Duchess of Sussex. And uh, she said on that page that she felt like we could show them compassion and concern uh, by raising money to help them pay off their mortgage in the United States. So she said, this is how she figured it out, if 2 million people gave $5 each, 
we could pay off the $14.6 million mortgage that the Duke and the Duchess have on their mansion in California. Uh, she felt like that would be a, a compassionate thing to do. Not surprisingly, uh, her, her campaign didn't really take off, including her $5. Remember, her, her goal is $14.6 million. Including the $5 she gave, she raised $110. And then she shut down the campaign because she started getting, are you kidding me, kind of criticism. Because you have to look at this realistically. They say they have limited funds. Well, let's, let's just talk about what we know for sure. What we know for sure is that Harry inherited in excess of $13 million. That's his inheritance right now from his mother and his mother alone. What we know for sure is Megan is a multimillionaire from her acting already and from her endorsements and sponsorships. What we know for sure is that both of them have recently signed a $100 million deal with Netflix. Which, by the way, Harry complained about because that means he has to work. I'm not really sure how that's working, how that qualifies. But, but he complained about that because he has to. To work, And they're speaking engagements now since they, they're invited to speak places. For each speaking engagement, they get $1 million each time they open their mouths. Isn't it interesting how different we are from God? Megan and, and Harry left their homeland of the U.K. and came to a strange land. And here they set up and are still multi-millionaires in a strange Place and complaining about it. The king of all creation left glory and came to this messy, sinful earth. Rather than live in a mansion, he lived in the flesh of a man. Perfect man, 100% man, while still 100% God. But he left glory. Ask nothing in return but that we believe in him. He did that for you. He did that for us, that we would trust Christ as our Savior. As we return to John chapter 6 this morning, we, we step back into the conversation Jesus is having uh, with a group that followed him from the feeding of the 5,000 to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And he started teaching them there when they showed up the next morning. He transitions, by the way, in the course of the conversation, he transitions into the local synagogue in Capernaum, and they continue in that conversation. And now the, the, the conversation not only includes the crowd that followed him, but Jewish leaders who are there as well. And in a moment when we read the phrase, the Jews, and their skepticism, it's referring to not only the crowd, but to the Jewish leaders who were there. And as you recall from the last time, he began using the image of the bread uh, and comparing himself uh, as, and talking about how the manna from heaven, their, four, their forefathers received in the wilderness to feed them, was foreshadowing him. It wasn't about food. It was about him. It wasn't just about the physical. It was about the spiritual. And that's where he, began, he moves in the conversation toward uh, using a physical image, a physical reality to teach a spiritual truth. And he's going to deepen that this morning, And we're reminded, as we move into the conversation this morning, we're reminded that much of the confusion we have about Jesus is because we don't understand spiritual truth. 
And we don't understand spiritual truth because we're focused in on the physical and the material and what God can do for us and what God can give us on our terms. But when we realize, especially in the case that we're going to see in a moment and in the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate in just a little while, when we realize Jesus uses physical reality to teach spiritual truth, the confusion clears up and we start to understand that spiritual truth. Before we read the passage and the part of the conversation we're going to read this morning, it's a part, by the way, that, that is graphic in what Jesus is teaching and how he deepens this teaching about the bread of life and, and applies it to himself. Before we read that, though, it's an interesting thing. As we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a little bit, and you'll remember the Lord's Supper is Jesus instituting the Passover. It's when he said the, the, that he fulfilled the Passover meal, that he's the Lamb of God that died for the sins of the world. And he, he reinstituted, he changed what the Passover was because it never had to be done again. Now the Lord's Supper is a celebration of his crucifixion and his resurrection for us on the cross. A one-time event no longer has to be repeated. Interesting thing is John does not include in his gospel the Lord's Supper or that last Passover. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they include it. John does not include it. Instead, what John includes are, are conversations from that last night Jesus had with his disciples and the washing of the feet. You remember that? The, the servant bending down and washing the feet. He includes that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not include that. All of it's historical material. But I think one reason he does not include the part that we recite when we receive the Lord's Supper about when Jesus said, take this bread, it's my body, take it in remembrance of me, and, and drink this, it's my blood, drink it in remembrance of me. John doesn't include that because he includes the passage in the conversation we're going to read this morning. They're not the same event, but what we'll read this morning foreshadows the meaning of the Lord's Supper. It looks toward the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and it reminds us that Jesus frequently uses physical reality, things right there in our lives, to teach spiritual truths. And that's exactly what he's going to do in the passage we'll read and in the Lord's Supper as we receive that shortly. So look there with me, John chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to start reading. We're going to read first verse 35. We'll return to verse 35 where Jesus initiates the image of the bread of life. In John 6:35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever, hung, will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will, will be thirsty again. Now move forward to verse 47. John chapter 6 and verse 47. Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is using a physical reality, bread, to teach a spiritual truth that eternal life is in Christ alone. When we read this passage, even today in the 21st century, it sort of rankles our sensibilities. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, you can imagine how they felt in the first century when Jews were taught from a very young age not to drink blood, not to take in blood. And here Jesus is saying that's exactly what you've got to do. And not only just any blood, but mine. Now, obviously, he's using an illustration, a metaphor. He doesn't mean this literally, but at the same time, he's using it in a very graphic way so that we understand that believing in Jesus is much like consuming Christ. It's receiving him fully. This is not wishy-washy believism. This is not, I'll do this for a while, and then I'll go on and do something else, and then if I decide to come back to church or follow Christ again, I'll no. If you follow Christ, if you receive Him as your Savior, it's like receiving and digesting Him into your life. There is no going back. You fully consume Christ as your Savior, and you are fully consumed by Christ as your Savior. He is your life. There is no going back. And you depend on Him entirely for eternal life. No one else. He is your life if you trust Him as your Savior. Says a lot about the way we treat Jesus these days, doesn't it? The way we come and go from Christianity and church, like it's it's easy on us. The way we pop in and pop out and hop from place to place and never fully grasp that when Jesus says, When you say you believe, you have consumed me and I've consumed you. That's what it means to believe in Christ. It's not punching a heavenly ticket. It is setting aside all other gods in your life and saying Christ is the only one that died for me. He is my hope and my life. And I receive Him fully as my Savior. Verse 52. The Jews had a problem with this. And they argued among themselves. How can... He say to us to eat his flesh. He's he's a man. How can he say that? Because they're focused on the physical. They're missing the spiritual truth. They're missing the reality that Jesus is teaching. That knowing him is all-consuming. They're missing the symbol of the bread. A symbol that points to who he really is. A symbol that wraps up that picture that he is the bread from heaven. He is the bread of life that has come down for humanity, that walks in the flesh, very flesh that will be sacrificed for you and for me. And then God would raise him from the grave. God, the Father, would give him life in raising him from the grave. And he, in turn, would give us life. For a moment this morning, I want us just to focus in on two of those spiritual truths that Jesus once again teaches through this physical reality of bread and of blood. Two spiritual truths to remember as we move toward participating in the Lord's Supper. The first one is that believing in Jesus results in eternal life. 
Believing in Jesus results in eternal life. We've already qualified what we mean by believing in Jesus as being wholeheartedly consumed by Him and and receiving Him completely as our Savior. Uh, No going back. No no wondering tomorrow if it was a good decision. You, You receive Christ completely. And the result of them believing in Jesus is eternal life. Notice how many times he says this. Verse 48. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Now what is it that he's telling the Jews they must believe? He's telling them that he he is the bread from heaven. He is the bread of life. He is the, the one the manna in the wilderness foreshadowed. He's what God's been talking about all these generations. If you believe that I am he, he says, if you invest yourself in me, you have eternal life. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 51, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When Jesus speaks of believing in him and having eternal life that follows from believing in him, he offers two particular points about it, two components. One is the scope of it. Did you notice he said twice, anyone Who believes in me? Anyone who believes in me. Uh, That is, any walk of life, poor, wealthy, educated, uneducated, any race, any ethnicity, any human being at any time that believes in Jesus Christ. Anyone, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, if you want forgiveness of sin, believe in Jesus Christ. If you want to receive that salvation, that eternal life, believe in Jesus Christ. And it's for anyone. The scope is for anyone. But notice there's a condition. Even though it's available for anyone, still you must believe. You must decide for Christ. You must say, yes, He is my one and only hope. He's the one that died on the cross for me. He's the one that God raised from the grave. And there is no one else. And Jesus underscores this constantly. Believe in me, He says. He doesn't say believe in Muhammad, believe in Buddha, believe in Tom Cruise. He doesn't give you any other choices. He says, believe in me to have eternal life. There's no way to miss that. How in the world people can read the Bible and get out of it? Well, any religion will, will suffice. Uh, any, belie- any believism will suffice. Head knowledge will do. I, I just know about the Bible. I know about, the, about Jesus, and I don't have to give him my life. You don't get that from Jesus. You don't get that from him. What you get from him is believe in me fully and absolutely with your life. And I will give you life. So believing in Jesus, consuming Him as your life, results in eternal life. When you receive the bread and the cup in just a little while, and this is why it's so important we understand receiving the bread, receiving the cup and the Lord's Supper is a specifically Christian event. It's saying this, I am confirming that I have done this. I have believed in Jesus. It's not saying, well, I'll take the bread and the cup. Maybe one day I'll trust Christ. One day I'll believe in Him. No. Jesus said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember, I died on the cross for you. Remember, I'm alive today. And remember that you have believed in me. So this is for the Christian. And when you take that bread, you remember, believing in Jesus is the reason you have eternal life. 
And when you drink that cup, remember that cup represents his blood shed on the cross for you. Drinking that cup means you confirm, I have believed in Christ and Christ alone for forgiveness and eternal life. Believing in Jesus results in eternal life. The second, believing in Jesus results in a relationship with God. A relationship with God. No one else will do. No, no other religion can make this claim. No other person has made this claim that when you believe in Him, you have an intimate relationship with God that cannot be changed. Look at verse 56. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Remains in me and I in him. If you're looking at your hard copy Bible and you don't mind marking in it, highlight, underline, or circle the word remain. Some Bible translates, some translations put abide. It means the same thing. Remains in me and I in him. This is a staggering truth of the Bible. It means when you believe in Jesus, when you trust him as your Savior, as the bread of life, as your hope, as your life itself, when you are consumed by him and he consumes you, he remains in that relationship. It begins a, a relationship with your Heavenly Father, an eternal relationship through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God, the Bible teaches, activates and seals that relationship by coming to live in you. And unlike the manna in the wilderness, which would show up every day and had to be consumed early in the morning, or it would rot by midday, Jesus says, when you believe in me, the bread of life, you remain in me. You never have to do it again. But this is when you are consumed by me. And I consume you entirely. You believe in Christ completely, forever. Giving your life over to Him. And He says, you start that relationship with me. I am in you. You are in me. We're together in the Father. He talks about it elsewhere. John chapter 17. Other places. It's an intimate relationship. That you have with your Creator, your God, through Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that you and I become God. That's not what it means. Doesn't mean you and I become little gods. Not what it means. The Bible never teaches that. What it means is we are restored to a relationship with our God because of believing in Christ and Christ alone as the bread of life and as eternal life, as the one who would give us that life. And now we abide in Him. Our life is in Christ. Our life is in Him. Our life is because of Him. Every step you take, every breath, every moment is in Christ. It's life in Christ. Because you believed in Him. You believed. He was the bread. Come down for heaven, from heaven just for you. That promise exists nowhere else and in no one else. No one else says, I am the life. Easter and the Sunday after Easter, when we wrap up this series, we'll see how people respond to what Jesus has said. We'll see how the people of his day responded, and we'll see how people today respond to what Jesus says. So the question is for us, how we respond today. That, that's really what matters most. In 2006, the pop singer Madonna uh, got a lot of criticism for hosting a mock crucifixion of herself on stage during a concert. A lot of criticism, people saying it was blasphemy, which it was. 
But she came out to defend herself, and in her defense, this is roughly what she said. She said, well, I just did that to draw attention to the problems of the world. She said, that's why Jesus was crucified, to draw attention to the problems of the world. And, and I think he would agree with what I did. And she said, and that's why Christians wear those crosses around their necks, to, to draw attention to the, wor- to the problems of the world and, and to show compassion uh, and, and, and to remind people how much we need to love each other. No, it's not. No, it's not. Now, it's true, some people wear a cross as a piece of jewelry, but believer in Christ, listen to me. If you're wearing a cross, you're not doing it as a piece of jewelry. You're doing it to identify yourself with the only one who can give life. You're doing it to say, He consumes me, and that cross is my cross. His life is my life. I have my forgiveness and salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. And when I came to understand that, I believed in Him and in Him alone fully for eternal life. Because it lies nowhere else. And by the way, Protestant Christians wear crosses, not crucifix. We don't have Jesus still hanging on the cross. Why? Because He's not there. He has risen from the grave. And we can have eternal life because of Christ and Christ alone. How have you responded to Christ? Have you responded to what He says about Himself? He is the bread of life from heaven. And when you trust Him as your Savior, you believe in Him and consume Him wholly as the only one that can save you. You know that you've trusted Christ, been forgiven of your sins, and you have eternal life. But if you're in this room or you're at home and you can't say, I've done that. I haven't believed what he says about himself. I haven't believed in him. Today is the day to do that. And in just a little while, I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior. First, we are going to step into a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Physical symbols that remind us of the physical and spiritual truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. The bread represents his body. The drink represents his blood shed for you. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died on the cross for you and for me. And if you've trusted Him as your Savior, I want to invite you to participate with us here or at home in the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning. You don't have to be a member of First Baptist Church to do it, but you do need to know without question that you've been born again in Christ. You believe Him and you have eternal life in Christ. And if I'm talking to you this morning and you don't know for sure, you don't actually are not sure that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to have the courage not to pick up that bread and that cup To let that moment go by, but at the end of the hour, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, to believe Jesus for your salvation today. And the next time we do this, you're going to be able to participate as a believer in Christ. The bread and the cup confirm that you have believed Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to transition us into celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment, God. All we can say is thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you for coming into the world, this messy place. Thank you, God, for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven. Thank you that he's alive today and we can have eternal life. Father, I pray for each one here and each one at home. I pray, God, that we know that we've trusted Christ as our Savior. We believe in him to give us eternal life. And if just one person said, I'm not sure, Father, I pray at the end of the hour, at the end of the hour, God, they would lean forward, tune in, and trust Christ today. Father, as we go into this time of celebration of what Christ has done for us on the cross, remind us, God, confirm for us again that you have saved us by your grace through Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.